Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Stephen Mullen, the President of St Rocks and King Tut's very own GP Mason. How are you doing guys? Very well. I'm glad you got your mic sorted out JP. Yeah, I got accused in the comments of having a potato mic, uh, so uh, I've got the cans on today, so it should, you should be able to hear me a bit clearer than uh, <laughs> in my pathetic little uh, black ear pod things that I had on, so... Thing is, that was a week ago, wasn't it? We were watching the game one week ago, and no, it was uh, just it was just on Sunday. There, remember it was, was just, it? It was, it was uh, the St. Johnson game on Sunday. It was the St. Johnson game. Uh, yeah. I am thinking back to the the Milan game. Yeah. So the St. Johnson disappointment, the the one one draw, further protests after the game. JP, 
And we've been hearing that there is an unorganised protest after the game against Kilmarnock on Sunday. What's your thoughts on the fans and supporters groups getting organised and you know putting out as a an organised COVID compliant protest? Yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, um, I, I, I won't be going along. Uh, that's just my choice. Uh, but I, I, I agree with anybody's right to to protest, and as long as they do it in a in a civilized and organised and peaceful way, then 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 absolutely, everybody's got a right to a right to reply, so to speak. So um, the, the the sort of the what the scenes that we saw, I've 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 tried not to watch them because it just makes me feel sick. Um, but the scenes that we saw, you know. Nobody wants to see things like that where it's just chaos and mm-hmm. and, and it's like Jim Moore said, you're only as strong as your you're the weakest person there. Uh, I think that's something something like that anyway. And yeah. it's very it's very true because all you need is a loose cannon that's had a bottle of tonic and it's game over. Do you know what I mean? So uh, you need or a, mad dog or mad dog or other other uh, other cheap alcoholic <laughs> beverages are available. Uh, so I know I just think you know having something organised is, is far better. So if, if if that's what's going to happen, so be it. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the big issues yesterday I was reading about Stevie Mullen was the the banner that said "Shoot the board." Now. Obviously, that's completely unacceptable. And it goes back to what JP's saying there, echoing Jim Moore's sentiments from last week, that if it's just a free-for-all, you're going to get some idiots that, that are going to do things that don't represent the wider Celtic fan base, Stevie. Now, you remember back in the day where there were protests outside Celtic Park. And just like JP said, protests saved Celtic Football Club. Fan protests saved it. So I think that under the circumstances it's difficult and it's good that it's been organised. What's your thoughts on the Celtic fans' reactions outside the ground since the Ross County game? I think everybody's entitled to their democratic right, you know, to protest. I don't think it's advisable just now during the COVID regulations. So I don't know if they would be breaking anything. I certainly disagree with the banner saying shoot the board when we were so up in arms about what happened to Neil Lennon, you know, the bombs and bullets, you know, and now we are getting aligned with somebody to put that banner up. I totally disagree with that. No, you're you're spot on, and I think most uh, able-minded Celtic fans will agree with that, Stevie. It's the the big issue, and I've seen Tom Minogue, big Celtic fan, uh, on Twitter talking about how the the media will will highlight um, that banner over all the other banners. You know, that's the one that they'll be interested in. You could have thousands of people uh, protesting peacefully, but if someone attacks a bus or throws a barrier, that's what you'll see in the media. So I think the approach of um, being organised on Sunday and protesting that way is definitely a better way to go. Now, Stevie, you are a man who has been involved as a, a supporter of the club for many, many years. Uh, you've seen the good times and the bad times at Celtic Park. Um, I'm not going to, to say that you remember the last nine in a row because I don't want to insult your, your oh, age. Dude, I remember it well. You can remember it, right. I just had to tread carefully on that one, Stevie, because I know you look a lot younger than you actually are. But um, how fractured is that relationship compared to previous difficult times at Celtic? I think the last time the fans were more split, you see, because when I was listening to Jim last, and I thought his show was Friday with you last week, I thought it was Austin, I would have been one of the guys who would have took the leaflet from Jim and crumpled it and thrown it away, because I had total belief in the families who were running Celtic wouldn't have betrayed the fans as much, 
And it's only the foresight and intelligence of Jim and his guys that led us to where we are now. Now we're a PLC, it's different. You've got a duty of care to your shareholders. The romantic notion of Celtic, where you think it's going to be like the quiet man and John Wayne Maureen O'Hara run about fields, it's gone. We're just now a PLC board, and we're only credit to, to the board. Well, you, you say credit. Another thing, um, Stevie, that I've noticed a hell of a lot, particularly on social media, uh, which is the channel that we're relying on uh, a great deal at the moment as Celtic supporters, is the amount of fans who are looking for refunds, the amount of fans who are saying we're coming up to the Christmas rush, they're not going to be buying directly from the club. How's the club going to react to that? Do you think better engagement might um, appease the Celtic support in any way? Or do you think that unless there's change, this is going to be the state of play for Celtic fans? I think there's got to be change because I don't think the statements that they make appease anybody. You know, I've heard from last week, everybody who's been on the show have all got an opinion, but they're all different and they're not happy with Celtic making a statement. But how do you actually engage with each individual fan? You've got all the fans group, but they don't engage either. So I, I, I don't know how you overcome that, Paul. I brought it up yesterday, Stevie, because it is a, a frustration of mine. Um, I spoke to Kevin Graham at the top end of the week about, you know, what does the association do? What do the affiliation do? Uh, I'm not a member of either group. I understand one of them was primarily for Glasgow Celtic supporter, Glasgow-based Celtic supporters clubs, whilst the affiliation, I believe, was set up primarily for those outside the Glasgow area. Um, so that's fine. So that that looks to me as though it's a it's a way or a conduit to allow supporters clubs tickets, travel, that kind of thing. Um, but what I would expect from any organised group um, who are saying they're a supporters group, Stevie, is some form of statement, something. Um, and over the last few weeks, they've been they've been completely anonymous. So I'm I'm starting to question their validity. You know, the fit for purpose. I don't think so. But what you have in any group, you have a hierarchy mm-hmm. who then get to these positions, they're elected into these positions, then they've got something to lose. They don't want to lose the privileges and the privileged position they're in to get access to the board of directors, to Peter Law, and to get tickets. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to give that up, although that's the role at the club. No, you're right. If someone is getting uh, any kind of ticket or free pass, uh, then they don't want to rock the boat. And I think that's an issue. And I think in times like this, it becomes evident that that is definitely an issue because before now, uh, I would have expected some form, and I'm going to say statement, but some form of engagement. It's so easy to engage. I mean, there we have JP, uh, where you live. I'm not going to give the game away, JP. Um, obviously, we've got yourself, Stevie, and and me, and we can quite easily come together and broadcast to a wider fan base. It's easy to do it. Um, and, and, and I just think that they've been shown up for being outdated uh, and not fit for purpose and until they come out with a statement then what I would say is that the Celtic Trust are probably stealing a charge on them because they've organised this uh, protest on Sunday 13th of December 1pm check them out on Twitter for any details they'll keep you updated uh, but you mentioned there Stevie about Peter Lowell and having access to Peter Lowell now JP you probably will, will have heard that last week we tried uh, there was a suggestion made that we should 
uh, try and get an interview with Peter Lowell for a Celtic State of Mind. Now, I've got to say, I did ask originally some time ago, probably a year and a half ago, for an interview with Peter Lowell. Went through the normal channels, it didn't happen. And this time round, um, try to sell the case that, you know, this is actually going to benefit our charity weekend because we've had two businesses offering £10,000 uh, on the proviso that Peter Lowell provides us with an interview. And that interview obviously would be for the benefit of the fan base and it would allow kind of fair engagement with the fans who are extremely frustrated at the minute. Uh, we have had word back from the club this morning. And what they've agreed to is that we are able to pe- speak to Peter Lowell, but it won't be until the new year. So, um, make it that uh, what you will, but we won't be getting the interview for the charity weekend, unfortunately. But uh, we have been promised access in the new year. So I look forward to what that situation might bring. Hopefully it'll be in happier times, but uh, even then I think there's wider and deeper issues at the club. Now, JP, I was speaking about this yesterday. We've started talking about uh, various things around the the policy of uh, recruitment at the club. We've spoken about the lack of youth development and people say, well, you weren't complaining while she were winning leagues. And yeah, you're right, because that's what happens because, you know, success definitely does mask a lot of deficiencies. Um, do you think the club over the last few seasons have become complacent, JP, because we didn't have that challenger breathing down our neck? I think uh, I think the complacency thing is probably more to do with uh, the sort of squad management because if you look at the, some of the signings that we've made, if if guys like Luca Connell, Leo uh, Leo Connor, the centre half, uh, obviously Frimpong managed to get into the first team, maybe he was part of that sort of crop. But I think this the squad succession plan, and for example there's probably a lot of players that maybe would have left in the summer had we been in a normal world, you know, if mm. it had you know, no, no COVID or anything like that. I think there might have been a few high-profile departures, which I'm not against. If, if somebody doesn't want to play for Celtic and they want to, you know, move on to another stage in their career, that's that's fine. You know, it's, I don't think that's anything against Celtic. I don't think it's anything against Neil Lennon. I think it is genuinely... Players realise they have a short career, and mm. you know if they're not going, to, if they don't make a, a decision at, at some stage, then they never will. Um, but I think what it looks like for me is that the the board haven't managed this well. You know, from from the top down, in terms mm. of okay, well, we are aware that this guy doesn't want to be here, and we've known that for maybe a year, and so you know, there's going to be an inevitability that he's going to leave. So who is going to replace him? You know, and 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 is that person that's going to pro- replace him ready to go straight into the first team? Mm-hmm. Probably not. So I think there's maybe been a complacency in that as- in that aspect. Oh, definitely. Now, one thing that does happen is uh, obviously we're broadcasting on a daily basis, and you're reacting to what you see in front of you. Um, so I'm going to bring up the first comment coming through from Daniel Hamilton on YouTube. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Paul John, I heard you saying that Barkas could become a cult figure at Celtic. Whatever happened to that? That's a great question. Whatever happened to Barkas? Um, well, I think, uh, thinking back, actually, I probably made that comment after a, a reasonable display away in Europe in one of the, the one-off games that we actually won. Um, was it against Riga, perhaps? We won 1-0. And I felt that Barkas had, not only did he have a good game, I liked the, the style that he was showing during that game. And there was there was certain elements of his play that I felt he could become. I mean, when was the last cult goalkeeper we had? Probably uh, Arthur Boric. Um, but yeah, you know, you live and die by your 
uh, what you say at the time because obviously the opinion may have changed, Daniel, and you're allowed to change your opinion based on the performances since, since then. Is it going to be a cult? Well, there's a lot of bad players have become cult players as well, so perhaps they will. Who knows? Uh, but I guess that that is the risk. If you're going to be speaking about Celtic, every nuance of the club, every single day, um, some of your words might come back to haunt you and I'll throw some more out there before anyone else picks up on it I think I said it was a fantastic transfer window and now I'm looking at it thinking well no it wasn't because of the six players that have come in only two are playing kind of regularly in El Yunusi and Laxalt Barkas has been in and out Duffy seems completely out of the picture Turnbull strangely enough and I would like to speak about him um, has barely featured I think that that's a that's a bit of concern to be honest with you um, and a Yeti I mean I remember after five or six games most Celtic fans were saying this is a real find uh, but now I'm looking at the three guys that have come up from uh, the English League and I'm wondering you know what are we paying for here because you're getting the big loan fees uh, for the likes of Duffy and El Yunusi they're on massive wages Duffy said on his social media that Celtic are paying 100% of his wages don't know if that's true um, and we're not getting value for money. So your your opinion changes depending on the actual performances uh, of the players and of the team. So what's my opinion now? Well, it, it probably is different from what it was in August and September. And that's just football, isn't it, really? You're going to have to change with what you're seeing in front of you. Uh, now, Stevie, JP talked about their kind of succession planning, uh, recruitment, signing players, realising that this one is coming to an end or is in the last year of his contract or in Scott Brown's case is probably in the last year or two of his career and that failure to plan that failure to replace properly and strongly enough and there's this big belief Stevie looking to January because obviously the situation is going to be reviewed in January that um, you know Celtic are going to dip back into the transfer market uh, Neil Lennon has intimated that that's going to happen but what you've got to be wary of, Stevie, is that we don't particularly uh, perform particularly well in January transfer markets, and you've got some of the stats here, haven't you? I can give you the stats, Paul, from the 10 in a row season. 2010-2011, we brought in Freddie Lundberg, Martin Duncan Rasmussen, Jason Marr, and Dominic Servi. None of them done anything. 11 and 12, Victor Wanyama, a great signing. Pavel Broswick, Josh Thompson. 12-13, Rami Gershwin, Mo Bangura. 13-14, nobody came in in January. 14-15, Armstrong and Amide Baldi. Armstrong, good signing. 15-60, Paddy Roberts, great signing. 17-18, Jack Hendry, Marvin Compa. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 1819, Sved, Manny Perez, Oli Buck, Timothy Weir, 
1920, Clamala and so. So if you're looking to January transfer windows to transfer your season, the historical relation to it is not going to bear fruit. Wow. Is that 10 seasons, Stephen? Yep. yep. That's, for me, I would say Wanyama, Armstrong and Roberts of and, all of those signings there. And over the, the seasons, we've spent 97.01 million. We've brought in 120.65 Showing a profit of twenty three point six four million. That's from two thousand and ten eleven to twenty 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 one. Well, you know it's astonishing actually that um, of all the names you've mentioned there, maybe one in maybe one in four actually became a success. Few people will argue that Wanyama, Armstrong, and Roberts are probably the only three names out of that lot. JP. So if we're hoping for reinforcements in January, um, going by previous transfer records. It's still not going to improve us. It's a pretty depressing uh, roll call that <laughs> Stevie just read out there. I mean, to hear them all in the one sort of soundbite is it's quite terrifying when you think of that that level of money, that level of expenditure, mm. and just how how poor we've been with with, with signings. You know, you, you can point to Dembele's and Van Dykes and Wanyamas, but there's such a raft of players that just have arrived and. And just disappeared without, you know, I mean, no fanfare at all. You know, it's just like, oh, they're away. They're away again. They've not done anything. They've been paid handsomely while they've been here, but they're away. Mm. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty depressing. It's depressing, JP. And a lot of the guys that Stevie mentioned there, you know, you give them usually a three-year deal. And we kind of persevere with them for maybe 12 months. We realise they're not up to scratch. And then there's a series of loan deals where we're just, you know, running down their contract, which means there's no sell-on value on any of these players. Quite a few of them are obviously loan signers. I've completely forgotten about Rami Gershon. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the on the subject is of Israelis, let, let's have a wee chat about El Hamid because I know, Stevie, you are a big fan of El Hamid and there were direct quotes attributed to El Hamid in relation to his future at the club. So what's your thoughts on that? I know he's not been as good this season as we would expect, but maybe his loneliness that he spoke about um, has contributed to that. I think his first game at Ibrooks when he started the right back, then when he went centre back, I thought this guy can play. And really, really confident in his ability. The performances this year's especially defensively and against AC Milan last week were atrocious you know so if this is preying on his mind get him out of the door in January we can't, oh. we can't persevere with him no you really you can't I mean when it comes down to it though Stevie we'll be left with one recognised right back at the club if, if El Hamid goes uh, I know people have said that uh, perhaps Ayer could play right back but again as I was saying to Kevin Graham the other week we've already converted him from midfield to centre half and by the way, I think at the moment he's your best centre-half because I've not been impressed with Julian since he's come back in. Um, and, you know, he's already been converted. Do we then try and convert him to a right-back? I don't think so. Um, you've got Frimpong, who apparently is a right-back, but again, I've, I've not seen the attributes defensively in that young man to suggest that he is a defender. So let's play to his strengths because he's definitely a better offensive player. We all know about his final ball and his crossing could improve. Uh, but then that leaves us with Ralston. So on the shopping list for January, definitely need a right back, don't we, Stevie? See from the people who are at the club just now, I would took one of the left backs and put him over there. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Ralston is going to be up to the quality we're looking for. Frimpong showed again last Sunday, he's got no defensive qualities. So we're really, really weak at right back. Yes. Yeah. Now that's fine if you're 
you know, if you're trying to play three at the back, but that's no work. I mean, I can understand Ayer playing on the right-hand side of a back three um, and covering that area, but, you know, a full-back is a specialist position, Stevie, as you know. And we the, started with three at the back last week, mm-hmm. and Frimpong still lost his man. Yeah. It went between him, the centre-back, mm-hmm. the ball got put across the goal. His positional goal. plays poor. Uh, as a, as from a defensive sense, Stevie, um, do you think Greg Taylor could make that transition from left to right? I think he could. If you can play the position, it's obviously uncomfortable if you're going to try and play, clear the ball, but you'd be able to go to the defensive part of it. No, absolutely. I mean, it's something that uh, whether or not Neil Lennon has considered that, I don't know, he's tried just about everything else in terms of the positional play, the shape. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with a football coach the other day talking about the biggest issue Celtic have at the moment because to the naked eye, we've no width. But I did I did notice that we have this gaping space that uh, obviously we've been struggling with from front to back. And um, when, we're on the, when we're on the break... What you've got is you've got your centre forward, um, Eduard generally. You've got Laxalt down the left, Frimpong down the right, and then you've got the three behind the forward and let's say Christel Yunusi and, and Rogic. So when you're you're actually on the charge, on the march, if you're in attack, then you've got six players in the in the final third and in generally twenty yards from the opposition's goal. But the transition play um from that to a breakaway, uh, to a counter attack, is leaving Celtic wide open and that's what the, the other clubs, Ross County, Hibs, St Johnston and all the European sides are capitalising on because we don't have the, the midfield in Brown and McGregor to cover that, that space from their 18-yard box to our own one and we're normally left with two at the back who have generally been pretty poor this season and that's where, from this coach's perspective, Celtic have fallen down. Other clubs have sussed it out but surely anyone with any kind of coaching um, now or ability could identify that before now and put it right. We're in December and Neil Lennon's still coming away with um, the the performance. There was not that much wrong about the performance. Did you see the, the press conference yesterday, JP? And if so, what was your thoughts on Neil Lennon's output? Yeah, I did watch it and I, I found it a bit uncomfortable and a bit kind of Groundhog Day sort of uh, aspect to it. Just, you know, how many times are we going to hear this? And mm-hmm you know, this whole idea of turning a corner and everything else, it's just, I don't know. I, 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 st- I still, as much as a lot of people are blaming Neil Lennon, I, I, I still find that there's there's got to be fault at the players' door as well. And it's interesting you brought up the Alhamed thing because I think that, you know, without without it turning into like this sort of sob story for El Hamed, you know, his wife and child are in Israel, but he's a handsomely paid football player, you know, this is the, the trade-off and whatnot. I think that that obviously can identify that things might not be right in quite a lot of those players' lives that mm-hmm. you know we don't know about. You know that the only reason that story's come out is because somebody's decided that it's it's newsworthy and they've they've agreed to it or whatever. But you know there could be other other factors in in the players' lives, and then you'll say, oh well, but it's the same for every club. But yeah, it's the same for every club. But some people, every every individual is different, and some people might have a collective of individuals who are struggling. At, at this particular moment in time, because they haven't got access to their families, they might be single, you know, all things like that. So, I, you know, it's, it's not an excuse by any stretch, but I think it, the El Hamed story, as soon as I read it, I was like, well, it just proves that they're, they're human beings as well. 
No, absolutely. And again, you know, as football fans, uh, JP, we are we are very fickle, and I take that on the chin. But uh, you never really consider that in the first instance when someone's playing badly. You look at his mistakes, even going back to the Ferenc Faros game, and you just criticise him because it's poor defending. But you don't think, I wonder what else is going on in that player's life, unless it's publicly known. And there has also been situations where we are aware of issues in some of our players' personal lives. But yeah, it's always sad to hear. JP, but I think you, you've just got to be ruthless, like Stevie Mullins says, and if a player's in that situation, you've got, just got to cut ties and, and let's get someone else in. The, the one thing I'm probably surprised at is that at some point, um, and this is probably down to the fact that we, we really are, there's a dearth of right-backs at Celtic Park just now, which is bad squad management, going back to your point, JP. Um, why we've not utilised them in this, the centre of defence more often, because that's been the, the really the weakest area of the park. But again, it's the weakest area because of this transitional play and how poorly Celtic are going from front, front to back. And, and the you know clubs have got wise to that and they, they have no fear playing against Celtic. Now, going back to the Neil Lennon interview, uh, it was car crash stuff. It was at, at some point I thought to myself, would someone just bring this to a close? I made the point last week about how I don't feel he's getting the support. Now, you can say what you like about the relationship between Neil Lennon, Gavin Strachan and John Kennedy. The truth of the matter is we're speculating. We don't know what's going on, right? But what you can do is you can look at the fact that he's not getting that level of support after the games for post-matches. Now, Jim Moore raised the, the fact that maybe Neil Lennon wants to take it head-on every single time himself. But I do recall previously in his career him using and utilising uh, Gary Parker after the game when he was the manager of Hibs. So, you know, to, to counter that kind of thought process, I think it, some time ago it would have been good for Neil Lennon to get some support from John Kennedy. I think he's struggling badly under the circumstances. And I think the interview yesterday, Stevie, was a real indication that Neil Lennon is struggling. I mean, he could barely answer a question yesterday. On the 27th of October, Neil Lennon stated, if this deteriorates anymore, I'll hold my hands up. So I'm going to go back 10 days earlier. I've played 12, won 2, drew 4, lost 6, scored 19, conceded 28, won clean sheet. So how much does it need to deteriorate? before he puts his hands up and accepts his responsibility. Does that then say to you, because obviously people start to create uh, theories in their own mind as to why Neil Lennon isn't walking, why the board aren't making um, a decision on this, why he's been given until January, by which time our season could be over and last season could be over, because obviously last season is the quadruple treble. Um, and you start asking yourself, Steve, after making a, a comment, a statement like that, if it deteriorates quickly, then obviously he'll hold his hands up. It has deteriorated quickly. It continues to. We are in free fall. So what's changed, do you think, Stevie, between Neil Lennon and the board? Well, there's two things. When we go back to Ross County and history's repeating itself in 2012, the players lack hunger and desire. And I'm going to recommend to the board, there's a clear out of the staff, mm -hmm. which we've said after the Ferris Farrows game. I woke up the other night and a bit of a panic and I was thinking about why have we not changed this? And I'm now starting to underthink that maybe is there collusion between Celtic and Rangers that if we won 10 in a row, there's no desire for a living, so our season ticket sales would fall off. If Rangers allow us to win 10 in a row, they go bust. So is there a collusion between the two clubs 
where we've got competition and the financial rewards are going to come in for both clubs because we need them, according to Peter and Desmond, when they were out. Well, Peter Lowell said that, didn't he? Yep. He said from a business perspective, um, when you're looking at sponsorship, when you're looking at um, merch deals, everything increases when you have that that challenge. Now, JP, um, what's your thoughts on that? Because again, when you're talking about this on a day-to-day basis, um, you hear a, a whole variety of views from Celtic supporters. It, there does seem to be something unusual in the water at the moment around about Celtic Park. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I did see a, a post on, I think it was the Celtic State of Mind Facebook page. Somebody had uh, dug up an old article from a Celtic view with Peter Law as a uh, finance director under the Kellys. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know that that was the case. Uh, mm. I didn't know that he was part of that that uh, board or uh, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, then people are then starting to say, oh, you know, is, is he connected to the Kellys, you know? And suddenly there's pitchforks out for Peter Law because he's connected to that that time period. I don't think that's the case. I don't. I certainly don't think that's the case. I think there is something very, very weird about how this is all playing out. Um, I, I mean, there is there's, <laughs> there's definitely an argument to say there could be uh, collusion and the whole resolution twelve thing and how that was just kind of basically brushed aside uh, when we could have really put our foots on their throats or the old the old club's throats or whoever yeah. it was. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd I still go back to this whole perfect storm thing, you know. What, what, it, of course, it's us that's lost out on two games to be played because of uh, ball and goalie going away, and the, 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 you know that 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 gap. Although you could say it's because there's, you know, all the, the, you know we we could win those two games in hand. Those games not being played immediately puts so much more pressure onto the games that we have got to play. So. You know, you've got to factor that into it as well because, I mean, it was desperation stuff on Sunday. You know, we get a goal back with 10 minutes to go and everyone's like, we've got 10 minutes to save our season. It's December. Do you know what I mean? That's that's mental. No, you're right. I mean, the thing is, Stevie, um, you've, you've been contributing to Celtic State of Mind for a, a long, long time. Uh, you freely admitted that when change was afoot from the street movements back in the early 90s from Save Our Celts to Celts for Change, you were opposed to them initially. You were saying, you know, don't tell me I can't go and support my club. You've seen it all. You've seen the highs, you've seen the lows. Um, But even you are are looking sensibly at the situation and wondering, you're wondering why no action's being taken. You're wondering that, you know, by January, if we continue on our running form, which is probable, and if Rangers continue on their running form, which is even more probable, because I'm sure that the momentum will continue, as will the confidence and the winning mentality that we keep going on about, then the season will be over by January. So it seems absurd that the board have come out and made that statement. And, and that, again, was through that kind of frustration that we did want to speak to a representative at the club. And people thought it was attention-seeking. It was nothing like that. I just feel that the engagement between the club and the fans is at an all-time low. JP, you mentioned there about uh, Lowell. Strangely enough, I didn't see that on the Facebook page. I don't always have time to check the Facebook page. Maybe I should more often. Uh, you could be posting anything up there. Um, but I do remember uh, recently I was re- I was researching something. I was going through my old Not The Views and there was mention of Peter Lowell at that time being um, given the position at Celtic by the then Chief Executive, who was Terry Cassidy, believe it or not. 
So he was there. Uh, what was he, a financial controller for about a year, I think? Yep. And then he went away and obviously made his name elsewhere in the financial sector. So yes, he has been here, but I mean, I wouldn't... Uh- As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Uh, read too much into that. I've spoke to someone pretty close to the club and their view on it is um, be careful what you wish for because, you know, you could be run by another organisation who are running other clubs in Scotland at the moment or you could be run by someone that, um, you know, would be akin to a, a previous incumbent in the, the Celtic boardroom and we all know that there were there were some really incompetence previously. But I don't think that washes with me anymore because we've got to deal with the here and now. So I, I do think that the, the squad's been managed poorly. There's been a complacency by the club and that, that goes throughout the club from the, the highest echelons right down Stevie Mullen to the head of recruitment. Um, and then obviously it filters in to the manager who is, is dealing with a set of players that he hasn't assembled. He's dealing with a coaching staff that he hasn't assembled. And then I think it, it filters into the players when there's a situation after a, a, a massively disappointing defeat in Europe where Neil Lennon, you know, opens up in public about what's been going on behind the scenes and saying that there are players, it's been bugging me for some time, there are players in that dressing room who don't want to be here. That was the beginning of the end of this season. That's when it all started to unravel. Now, no matter how professional you are, I'm not having it that Ryan Christie's down tools. I've heard that so many times. And I'm not having it. I think what happens with Ryan Christie is twofold. The first one is... He shouldn't ever be allowed to take a corner kick or a free kick for Celtic, right? Because every time he takes one, if it's a corner kick, he never goes beyond the first man. If it's a if it's a free kick, nine times out of ten, it's in row's head. And that mars your view on his performance because a lot of the creative play from Celtic's perspective comes through Ryan Christie. But my big frustration last week was he hits that free kick, ironically enough, and it's gone into the, the top bag, right? It's gone right into the top corner. And the goalkeeper clutches this thing out of the air. That would have put us 3 nothing up. But the first goal for AC Milan was due to Ryan Christie giving away a daft free kick on his own 18-yard box. The guy, you know, does he know Does he know where he's playing? His position is all over the park, it would seem. And that comes down to me to two things. The player himself, but also who's managing him, who's coaching him, who's advising him. Because you know if you were able to temper that enthusiasm a wee bit and actually get him into a position where he's effective then I think a lot more Celtic fans would realise that a lot of what he does is good. There's no way he's down tools, though. Then people might point to the fact that, you know, he's not celebrated certain goals. I mean, I didn't think he celebrated the St. Johnson goal a great deal, did he? Um, And there was a previous one in Europe. However, he's not down tools. You look at someone like Edward, and you look at the change in approach, the change in performances compared to last season, and there might be an argument that something's gone wrong there. You look at Ncham, 
he has that unfortunate nature of Samaras where he looks like he couldn't care less. Sometimes he's spectacular, most times he's very, very average or even poor. So is he down tools? Well, I just think that's in cham. That that's just his nature. Who else? Ayer. Ayer's actually playing better than most at the back. Another one has been mentioned is Julien. But again, he's been hampered by injuries. So I don't think players deliberately down tools, but if a manager has sold you down the river or thrown you under a bus, which is the big cliche we're all using this season, then it is going to affect your performances, potentially. I mean, how difficult is it to flick that switch and play for a gaffer who just criticised you in front of millions on the TV? So I think that was the first sign that Neil Lennon was at breaking point and he, he chose the wrong thing to do by throwing his players under a bus. We're actually seeing a bit of a replication to what happened at Hibs. There was a period at Hibs where he comes in and there's the, the impact. He then gets a good run together and he gets a promotion, albeit some of the players that were there, perfect timing for some of the guys ought to be there under Neil Lennon. But then when it starts going wrong, you see him falling out with opposition managers on the sideline. Remember the Jim Duffy escapade. He starts falling out with the media. He starts sending Gary Parker out to do his, his uh, post-match. And then he starts falling out with his own players. The famous bust-up with Cam Berry being the final straw. And then he falls out with the chief exec and Leanne Dempster before being relieved of his duties. And I just think there's a bit of a mirror here. But Celtic have kept it in their own bubble. They're going to stick by him. And I truly believe that starting from tonight... I mean, there you go, Stevie, right? One of the statos who's maybe watching or can check Google... If we don't win tonight, and I don't think we will, Lille have been one of the best teams we've seen all season. That'll be six home games without a win. When was the last time that happened? I, I don't know, but I think there's game mismanagement. I thought against AC Milan, when you were watching it on the TV, to start with, the two lines, you couldn't put a fag paper between them. Absolutely brilliantly. We started getting into the game, scored two goals, and then we totally mismanaged the gap between the back four and the midfield four was getting bigger and bigger because everybody wanted to get all the popularity and celebrity, you know, passing play. Then they started to go between my lines and bomb to dominated it. So Ryan Christie makes a rash tackle. But Callum McGregor and Scott Brown mucked it up before then. El mm-hmm. Hamid playing against a guy who's came for the Arctic Circle you know, just a couple of months ago, and couldn't tackle him. So the mismanagement of the game, it looks as if I've got a football manual and somebody stole the page in the chapter, when you go to it, what do you do? We said last week in the studio that Stevie May and a Halloran would play against us and run us off our feet on Sunday. Yep. That's how St. John's lined up. We're sitting in a studio as a wee hobby, putting an opinion, and our management team can't set up to defeat that. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It seems a lot. It seems really obvious, Stevie. And this is the frustration. Um, I'm going to have a look at some of the points coming in. Patrick Murphy, thanks for joining us. Patrick, you're commenting on YouTube. If you are watching on the YouTube channel, feel free to subscribe. Everything we do is free of charge. As we've said this week, it's almost like Groundhog Day in the Celtic world. We've been talking about the same issues for months. Yes, I support peaceful protests, but will it help bring about change? And Kieran uh, McNulty goes on to say the protests won't help anything. The only way to make change is by not giving the PLC any money. I still can't believe how this magical season has ended up like this. Now, JP, uh, I've heard a lot of people saying that in relation to season tickets, merchandise, etc. But uh, I spoke to Natasha the other day who was making her Axom debut. 
And Natasha, like many Celtic fans, said that her and uh, her game-going friends will continue because they support Celtic. And I think the vast majority will be of that view. How do you see this panning out with protests and holding your money back from the club and getting refunds back? Will it make any difference? Uh, I think if the if the protest on Sunday is you know attended have like well, I think I think it, it it does it does sort of prod the the the, uh, the the board into or the club into being more aware that it's not just a couple of hundred. Uh, guys, girls turning up on a, a Sunday after the, the game. If, if, it, if it is attended well, and, and I do expect it to be tended, attended well, I'm not talking 20,000 people, but I, I think there'll be maybe between five to 10,000 people there mm-hmm. on Sunday. And that's a lot of people. And that's probably one of the biggest gatherings that there'll have been in this whole time that we've had COVID. So I think it, the, the more... The more organised it is and the more uh, well attended it is, then the more likelihood it has for them to have to sit up and take notice. Um, mm-hmm. As for as for refunds and, and not buying merchandise, I, I think I think there'll be an element of fans that do that, but I don't think it'll, that would be uh, significant enough to really trouble them in any way. And obviously we can't boycott the games because we, we can't go to the games at the moment. So um, and, and never more so was that apparent when I spoke to you on Sunday and then uh, stopped speaking to you and then just moved, you know, two meters to go and watch a Celtic home game on my TV in front mm-hmm. of our ground with no fans. It's just, just miss it so much, you know. Just like away games as well and European games. Even if we were getting beat four one off Sparta Prague, um, it's it's horrendous not going to the games. Oh, it is. I mean, on a personal level, it's been part of my life for thirty three years. You know, going to the games, Stevie, even longer for yourself. Um, when we go back to the games. How are we going to cover them? We're going to send a van with a satellite on the top of it, <laughs> you know. What's the aim of the trust on Sunday? What's the aim? That that's a good question. I mean, uh, we've obviously had representation of the trust on a Celtic state of mind previously. It would be good um, to speak to them again, maybe to ask them that. Because I I don't know what they're hoping to achieve by Sunday, because it certainly won't influence Dermot Desmond or Peter Long, and the guys who's going to say we're well, not going to buy any merchandise. Good luck with that on Christmas morning the Waynes have not getting any Celtic stuff. I know. That's where it comes down to, doesn't it? Um, I mean, there is a point coming through from Chris. He was speaking about how every time the press media speak about fans going nuts, it's because we're going for the 10. Um, and although this does heighten the calls for change, even if it was a normal season, I believe we'd still be looking for change. Stevie, do you think that would be the case? I know that the 10 is, is, you know, there's a magical element about breaking the record. You know, it's historical, of course it is. Do you think it would make any difference if it was us going for the 8 and the, or the 7 and this capitulation was, was occurring? Do you think Celtic fans would still react the way they are just now? I think 100% they would. I don't think there'd be the same pressure on Neil Lennon and his players, but they've not responded well to it. You know, I don't think it was fair to Neil Lennon giving him on a day-to-day basis. So I can understand the Celtic board saying we're giving it to January. But what if his next three games he loses him? You know, everything's done before mm. you get to January. Aye, absolutely. I mean, looking at tonight's game, uh, I've said this all season, Stevie, about Europe, and I know that you share the views that Celtic, obviously, when you're looking at the rich history in Europe and the traditions of having teams that perform well in Europe, 
And some people say, oh, you know, that was back in the day. But when you look at the Champions League record in terms of how often we've been in the group stages or in Europe uh, in the group stages, uh, you know, when you look at where we are from and, and the, the restraints of uh, playing in Scottish football and we all know the, the money that's involved or the lack of money that's involved, um, I think previously we have probably been about punching at our weight and now we're not. And that, that's a big frustration. So one of our under, other pundits, Jim, said, you know, just play uh, the fringe players in Europe. But I think the difficulty with that, and, and Neil Lennon has alluded to the fact he's going to play some of them actually tonight. I think the difficulty with that is we've got to pick that team tonight with one eye on the match uh, against Kilmarnock on Sunday. Uh, two things, who needs rested? And also we need to have a backup plan. So who needs uh, a bit of game time in their legs? But also, we need to try and get that momentum going. So, how good is the momentum going to be if we go out there tonight and get beat 4-0, 4-1? These are some of the results we've seen, 3-1. Uh, some of the defeats we've seen in the Europa League this season. So, looking towards uh, tonight's game against Leo J- JP, I mean, for me, they're one of, probably, them and M- Milan have been the two best teams we've faced this season, of course. Um, do you fear that it is going to be six home games on the trot without a win? Probably for the first time since, if not the fifties, maybe even before then. I, I do, I do fear that. I mean, obviously, because Leo have something to play for. They're not, they're not, they're not guaranteed. Oh, they are guaranteed to be through, but no, they're not because Sparta Prague have got six points, so uh, they've they've got a reason to come and play tonight. It's not as if it's a dead rubber for them. Uh, I, I, I think that. The, the, the the key thing is, and this is why Neil Lennon is the manager and has paid a manager's uh, salary, is that he has to pick a team tonight that includes maybe Turnbull or Sorrow or both, mm-hmm. but augments, uh, but, but complements a team. It basically gives them a, 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 an area to play or a team to play in that isn't just solely relying on them. You know, they have to have some sort of backup with the team, that the, the rest of the players that are there. They, they can't just go all right, well, play no first-team regulars and bring in all these uh, squad players. It has to be, he has to get the balance right. And that's not in this current moment in time, that's not an easy thing to do. No, you're absolutely right. Again, I have seen calls for the likes of Sorrow to be given a run. I've heard the name of Connell. I don't know what that's based on. I mean, how many people are, are seeing Luke O'Connell training and playing regularly? I think Turnbull's the obvious one. We need to see more from Turnbull. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously what we have seen, I think it wasn't great first time round against St. Johnston at McDermott Park. That was his only start, I believe. Um, but from the substitute appearances, I've been very impressed with Turnbull. And obviously what we've seen when he was a Motherwell player, I was very impressed as well. Um, who do you think, Stevie, should... Uh, get some game time this evening who we haven't seen much of. I think it was very disappointing when Neil says about the guys were unfit and Turnbull was one of the ones he claimed. Mm-hmm. But, and I know he's a champion in the studio with a lot of your guests, Lee Griffiths came on the other day with a belly. You see it? Yep. You know, know, you can't have that if you're a professional footballer now. But, I think the night we need to start Sorrow, we need to start Turnbull, we need to start Klamala. Just to get him game times, get other guys a rest. Eddie would maybe want to play the night and it would encourage his move to go away because he seems to be performing better in the, the European games. He does seem to be playing. Now, does that down to the fact that it suits him better, Stevie, or he's putting himself in shot the window. shop window? Shot window. Yeah. But again, even we're talking about the pressure of the 10 and Europe, when Neil's first time in charge, Utrecht, Braga, and so on because he played an eligible player. Yeah. Player, you know, mm-hmm. so history's repeating itself a wee bit. Now, I'm going to bring this up because 
we have been we have been called, you know, entitled or spoiled quite a bit, simply because we're unhappy that our team are not maintaining the standards that we would expect of them. Um, but Stephen Duff says on YouTube, spoilt fans, they have no idea what it's like to be a fan who very rarely see their club win trophies. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. That that is the case. So it's very it's very different when it comes to the expectation of a Celtic fan who has seen their club winning three domestic trebles on the bounce, possibly four, nine in a row, and that level of success. What what happens is you you are demanding a level of success. It doesn't make you spoil when you see the standards dropping so rapidly that you feel the need to have your say or protest against it. Um, the issues that we're looking at Celtic Football Club at the minute isn't just a lack of form. You know, they're deep-rooted issues at Celtic Football Club from the players right through the coaching staff and into the boardroom. So Celtic fans um, have every right to be unhappy with that um, and have every right to make certain demands. So I'm not buying the fact that it comes down to having spoilt fans. You know, spoilt fans for me are people who don't appreciate success. Um, if you're standing there watching a trophy being won and you don't even appreciate it, you leave before full time, to, you don't even wait to see the trophy being held aloft. Call me spoiled if you see that. But if the, if the standards drop below what you would expect from Celtic Football Club, you have every right as a paying football fan uh, to speak up about it. So I'm not buying the fact that we're constantly getting called entitled and spoiled because we're seeing the deterioration of something that has taken us a decade to build up. So I'm not having that from Stephen. What's your thoughts on that, JP? Well, uh, thanks for asking. I was just going to say, uh, the only time I've never watched a, another club, an opposition club, lift a trophy was in Seville, wearing that top. <laughs> as uh, as uh, They went up to collect the trophy and everyone was booing and I just was like, I'm out of here. I also had to get a bus to Malaga by the way. So, uh, uh, but um, uh, that was leaving at midnight sharp, so uh, I managed to get that. But uh, yeah, with regards to the, the, the spoiled fans thing, see, see what I just was thinking about there? I was thinking about, remember the Dunfermline Cup game where it went to extra time mm. and we were in the middle of that run? I can't remember now exactly at what point we were in that run and what season that was. Was that the second season? I think it was the second season, Roger's second season. It must have been. And uh, we went to extra time and obviously we played terrible. We eventually won the game. But see, if we'd been beaten that game, there wouldn't have been people protesting outside the front door after that because that we would we, have just been like okay we've finally been beating a cup competition the, the run's over you know it's terrible but these things happen the Ross County game was not like that at all because like you've always said it's part of a bigger picture this is this is this is not this is not Tony Mowbray at Love Street this is a, 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 a you know an extended period of time where we have consistently underperformed and We've taken that level of performance into a game against Ross County, who beat us 2-0 at home, com comfortably, you could say as well. And then the following week, they get absolutely uh, battered 4-0 at home by our closest rivals. Yeah. So, but, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. But so it's, it's not spoiled fans. It's just kind of like we're assessing the situation and the malaise, and we're voicing our disapproval at it. It's not like, oh, 5-10, we're not playing anymore because we're not winning all the trophies. It's not no. like that at all. It's just it's completely different. Uh, it is completely different. And I have spoken over the last few weeks to Dundee United fans, Dunfermline, Hibs, Hearts, and I, go, I do get a good range of views as well, JP, about 
the fact that how they feel about their club, you get a vibe about how they feel about their club, which they're, they're as fanatical about their club as well. But what is their demands? What are their demands of their club? Now, if Celtic fans were watching what we are watching just now and they'd sit back and allow it to happen, then that would be part of the problem. We become part of the millies. We become part of the problem. So call me spoiled. Call me entitled if you want. I think it's more demanding. I think we're far more demanding and that is because we're supporting a club that, that breeds success and that's part of uh, the tradition of being a big club. Now, people say you only support Celtic because they're a big club. It's much deeper than that. Everybody will have their own reasons. Um, I certainly didn't decide to support Celtic one day because they were winning and certainly going through the nine in a row era when Rangers were winning nine league titles in a row. At no point did I ever turn around to my old man and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to the game. At no point did I say that. Um, because it galvanised you as a support and it galvanised you as a fan base. We protested when they were winning nine and we're protesting after we've won the nine. I'm sorry, I don't take, I just don't accept that there's an entitlement. Now, Stevie, you've seen it. You've seen it over a, a great number of years. And uh, you were talking earlier about the, the recruitment. Um, and you and I have discussed, we have mentioned previously that obviously... We, we give the gaffer a hard time at times for not playing this player, not playing that player. How difficult is it when you've got a head of recruitment who obviously has a massive part to play in the players that are coming in? How many of the six that have come in do you think were Neil Lennon targets? Well, it's actually bigger than head of football recruitment. He's head of football operations. So he should be doing the job that Peter Law's accused of doing. Mm. And there surely there must be a good relationship between Neil and Nicky Hammond because Neil spoke up for him when he was put into the position. So when we signed a Yeti, Neil says I went and spoke to him and convinced him to sign for Celtic. Yep. So if he doesn't fancy him, he shouldn't go and do that. There's a, there's a disconnect. And I, I, I don't know. I would, I'd imagine Stevie Woods had a say in the goalie. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting told Neil didn't want Duffy. You know, so who is actually sexing him? If it's Nicky Hammond, he needs to go as well. There's been a massive issue around the goalkeepers. We're now in a situation, when you look at last season, we had two Scottish internationals and an England international goalkeeper who, and I said it last season, I'm not just saying it now, I said it on a Celtic state of mind, he was the best signing Lennon made. Without a shadow of doubt, Fraser Forster, best signing he made, most important pivotal signing that he made in his second spell at Celtic. Now, we were somewhere down the line in doing a deal with Fraser Foster. There was some kind of assertion that Foster was interested in coming to Celtic and it was going to happen. We went so far down the line that we took our eye off Craig Gordon. Now, by the way, it's not one of these situations where everybody becomes great because they're not here anymore. I'm not going to sit here and say Johnny Hayes is better than like Salt because he's not. <laughs> but we took our eye off the ball uh, with Craig Gordon. Craig Gordon accepted at Hearts exactly the same money he was offered at Celtic. So we all know that the offer that we uh, obviously gave him uh, at the time seemed to be derisory to Craig Gordon. He accepted the same money at Hearts that he was offered at Celtic. So that says a lot about the situation in terms of how uh, much did he feel wanted at the club because we had put all our eggs in one basket with Fraser Foster. Then that deal collapses. For one reason or another, that deal collapses. We're un- unable to get it over the line, Stevie. Now, at the time, I think most Celtic fans were disappointed, but there was an air of, you know, if he doesn't want to come here, he can sit on the bench for Southampton. We're now looking at that situation. That's a massive part of some of the problems we've had this season. The fact that we then went for 
it could only be called our second option. Our backup plan was Barkas. And I think you're right, Stevie. Stevie Woods would have had a big part to play in that. And, you know, I'm reluctant to criticise Stevie Woods because he's had a great record at Celtic, hasn't he? When you look at the, the goalkeepers, you look at the improvement of Foster. I'm going to say first time round. One of the loan deals before we signed him permanently. Um, and he improved massively, particularly with the ball at his feet and actually kicking the ball out. His distribution was dreadful when he came to Celtic. Um, by the time he left Celtic, he's going to the World Cup with England. Now, a massive part of that needs to go to Stevie Woods. You look at some of the other goalkeepers that he's worked with. Craig Gordon was out again for two years. He was finished. He comes to Celtic, he works with Stevie Woods. He gets back into the, the Scottish national team as a goalkeeper. One of the undying memories of this run will be Gordon falling to his knees after Roderick scores against Aberdeen. You see the crowd go wild in the background. So, Stevie Woods has worked wonders with goalkeepers in the past. But then you ask yourself, what's going wrong with this one? I called him a cult hero previously. I might call him something else uh, in the next couple of weeks if he doesn't improve. But I think the biggest issue and the biggest thing we're missing with Foster is he had that demand behind the two centre-halves. So he could organise Iron and Julian. Iron and Julian looked like a decent partnership last season in front of Foster. This season it's as if they've never met. Now the two goals I keep bringing up, Ross County, when they won the penalty, simple ball across the face of goal. Julian can't deal with it. Brings the boy down. Goal against St Johnston. One of the players you mentioned, Stevie. Stevie May, danger man, identified. Everybody knows he's one of the danger mans. Acres of space on the left-hand side in the Celtic box. Simple crossfield pass. Julian can't deal with it. To the point where he's scrambling along. He's thrown himself to try and stop the, the, the boy getting the ball. So why is that? Is that because they don't have that influence behind them? I think massively, yeah. It is. Because Julian and I don't become a bad partnership overnight, even with the injury to Julian this season. So that was one of the biggest issues. Who's to blame for Foster not coming in, Stevie? Is it Nicky Hammond? Fraser Foster's to blame. Did he it come down to money? He agreed to come to us, had agreed everything, and then got his agent to phone the club right at the last bit and says he's going to strike Southampton. Fraser Foster agreed to come to Celtic. And that was a loan deal? Yeah. Could the club have done more? When you think about the investment in Barkas, four and a half to five million transfer fee, the wages, could we have done more to get Forster in? How far do you go? I, I think, or what I'm led to believe, Celtic made a great offer to him. He agreed to it and then reneged it at the last minute. Is it safe to say Lenny wanted Forster? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, on the other side of the park, we've got a Yeti. And as you say... You know, we praised Neil Lennon. We praised his man management ability for being able to convince, as if he needs convincing, to come to Celtic Football Club. But he played a big part in that. I don't think it was a first-choice striker either, was he? Not even Tony. Even Tony. And you've seen what he's done this season. Yep. So I think there's a, there's a real issue. We keep hearing the word disconnect. There's a disconnect between the fans and the club, undoubtedly. There seems to be a disconnect between the coaching staff and Neil Lennon, from what I'm seeing on the sidelines. And there's obviously a disconnect between the recruitment team and the gaffer because we've got six players in, two of them are playing regularly, the rest of them, some of them seem to be disappearing. Shane Duffy, is he injured? Is he dropped? Will we see him in a Celtic jersey again? So people say, oh, you know, you weren't complaining when, when you signed them. Of course we weren't because we're looking at what we're seeing on paper at that time and it looked like a good transfer window. With hindsight, we started the season with one wide player we started the season with two recognised right backs. That's coming back to haunt us. It's coming home to roost. Now, this evening, 
We've already spoke about some of the players, JP, that might feature for Celtic tonight. Give me a prediction. Are we going to go six home games without a win? And then I'm going to have to look at my Celtic football companion or the wiki to figure out when the last time was that we went on such a bad home run. Uh, I, I mean, obviously the head says that Leo will come and go for us because if they've been watching anything of our recent performances, then they'll just be sitting there rubbing their hands going, well, we know what we can do here. I really just hope that uh, we, we pull a performance out of the bag, despite it being a dead rumour. I, I would, I'd like to think we could get a, a draw. I, I think a draw would be a result that could keep us, you know, uh, have some sort of momentum going into Sunday. Sunday's a completely different uh, kettle of fish. But can I just say something about Julian? Um, see, when I'm playing football on a Tuesday night, well, when you're allowed to play football on a Tuesday night, I sometimes get accused from my friend James of... Uh, Given up, even although there's still work to do. You know, see if you lose the ball, or or you know, you as a misplaced pass or something like that. I kind of go, ah, oh, you know, and throw my hands up. That's what Julian does. Have you noticed that? He, yeah. he, he, he does. He does kind of like the the ball's still in play, and he's standing, you know, giving himself a hard time about something that he's just been part of. And you're like, Aye. the game's still going on. Keep doing what you're supposed to be Absolutely. doing as a football player. Stay um, tuned in. Yeah, Stay and tuned in. Yeah. Totally. And that's primitive. That's a really primitive thing to be suggesting. But it's a very apparent thing that I've I've seen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and obviously having been accused of that myself and, and I know exactly what it is he's doing or not doing. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah. You're spot on. I mean we've seen we've seen um, him kind of losing it with Lyndon Dykes in a two nothing game at, at Livingston. And the reason I bring it up is because I've seen similar kind of traits against Eulish the other night against Milan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was getting involved in things he shouldn't have. Was it Eulish? Was it the week before? No, it was Sparta Prague Eulish, the week Eulish before. Sparta Prague, yeah. Prague the week before. He was getting involved in things, JP. Mm-hmm. That he'd obviously, the concentration levels were gone. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, if he's not 28 yet, he's not kicking the ass off 28. Mm-hmm. You know, at that stage of his career, that should have already been ironed out, that part of it, where he's losing his concentration. In a European game, on a European stage, which just is, like he did a couple of seasons back with, with London Dykes. Yeah, which is probably why he's not a uh, fated French international with, yeah. you know, 100 caps. Because, you know, you'd think a £7 million French centre-half would be laden with caps at this point. Uh, but he's not. And that's probably because there's he's like a way down the pecking order in terms of anybody getting a look into a French international squad. Yeah, you've got the. I mean, he's the final. That's a final Julian you're going to get. How can you develop him further at that age? You know. Yeah. Uh, now, Stevie, I'm being informed. The last time that we went six home games without a win was 1946-47, which is astonishing. Probably the, the same season we almost got relegated. We had to beat Dundee in the last day of the season. Just no boss finished. Peyton scored. I think I need to check that. My knowledge goes. Back to the fifties, pretty Aggressive. extensively. <laughs> Before that, I need to check books and websites. Don't say I'm just aiming for the front. <laughs> <laughs> now it's always an absolute pleasure um, to get people's input onto the Celtic State of Minds bulletin. I've got to also say a big thank you to everybody who's been able to contribute to our fundraiser. Um, if anything, if, if you're able to throw in a couple of quid, brilliant. That's that's all we're asking you to do. We've also had uh, quite a lot of people getting in touch and I'm going to be responding to even more today who are offering us items that we can auction off and we will be doing that. We will be running an auction um, which will start on Sunday night, I believe, or Monday morning. 
and there's quite a few brilliant prizes in there. Every single penny that's raised from sponsorship, your contributions, the auction items, every penny is going to go to the four charities that we've named. Now, the link will be underneath the video that you're watching just now. And as I say, we will continue to provide free content on a daily basis. We won't be asking you to pay into Patreons and, and that kind of thing. Um, so if you've enjoyed at any point this year, I sell it state of mind, anything at all you can afford, I know it's a hard time of the year, would be appreciated. We've got a big target, but I think we can reach it. We had a brilliant message for Gianni Capaldi. We've got a few others in the bank that we'll be sharing with you as well, and I'm sure it'll be a huge success. Let's hope that we'll be celebrating a quadruple treble then. Uh, thanks everybody for getting involved but also thank you to JP Mason and Stevie Mullen for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind Pleasure Paul, thank you Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This isn't 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad, because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.